0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of New Narratives Political Agenda, our fortnightly podcast on contemporary issues and current affairs in Singapore. I'm your host, PJ Thumb, and also with me as usual is my brilliant co-host, New Narratives Editor-in-Chief, Kirsten Han. How Hello. are you, Kirsten?
1: good. It's been a very busy week.
0: Oh yeah, it's been a really, really... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've been in Bangkok, you've been in K-L. Malaysia, KL. Yeah. yeah, and we had our very first uh, open meeting in Kuala Lumpur. Yep. That was very successful. Uh so we're recording this on 20th November and uh today actually uh just uh was it 9 days ago you turned 30. Yes. Happy <laughs> birthday.
1: Thank you. Belated
0: um, congratulations.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it feels like Kirsten, you know, she's so prominent in in Singapore in our uh, civil society. She's been around forever but uh she's still only 30. So um well,
2: <laughs> young in years yeah. but wise in was. Yes, very wise.
0: Uh, so the topic this week, actually, is um, aging and ageism. Uh, but before I get to that, um, we're going to try something new with this podcast. Uh, for our listeners, if you have a question for a new narrative uh, for Kirsten and I, um, please uh, tweet at us or leave a comment on Facebook. Uh, or even email us if you want. But if you tweet or uh, use Facebook, use the hashtag ask new narrative. And uh, we'll pick a question, one question, and answer it in a future episode. And it, it could be on anything. You could ask Kirsten, uh, you know, what her favorite food is or, uh, or why she's so obsessed with cats, you know, something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll do our best to answer it. So do think of your best questions and um, tweet at us. Okay, so uh, this week, ageing and ageism. And uh, we have two fantastic guests with us as always. Um, we have Dr. Kanwaljit Soyn, who is a practicing orthopedic surgeon, a former nominated member of parliament, and who is founder president of WINGS, the Women's Initiative for Ageing Successfully. Uh, welcome, Kani.
2: Thank you very much, PJ. When
0: did you found WINGS?
2: Uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago.
0: Okay, and I I suppose given that it's on this topic, would you be willing to tell us how old you are?
2: Oh, sure. I I'm happy because I always get a compliment when I tell my age. I'm seventy six years old.
0: Oh wow! Yes, you 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 don't look. Yeah, that's uh you know, uh so you you founded Wings when you were uh, sixty five. Right. I see. So at an age where most people are retiring or, or are forced to retire rather you were starting something new and starting a new civil society organization in singapore as we all know is no joke
2: <laughs> i know and some of my friends warned me are you sure you want to start it now and raise money and raise issues and i thought long and hard but i i did it because i don't think age is necessarily a barrier what is a barrier is lack of passion yes and belief
0: yes yes yeah yeah if you have that passion age is you know age is meaningless but I don't quite understand also your friend's question, do you want to start it now? Because it's be- not like you're going to get any younger, you be- know.
2: Because of ageism, because yeah. they felt that as I was getting older, would I be able to have the, the, the stamina and the, to, to be able to rough it out? And that shows, it shows the topic on which we're going to speak this week, that right. certain beliefs are tied to your chronological age, negative beliefs.
0: Oh, yes, yes, very much so. I think uh, you're around the same age as my mother. And what I'm always amused by is just how uh, when I look at her Facebook page, she's partying harder than I ever did in my 20s. You know, and if you look at my Facebook page, it's very serious. And I'm, I, I barely post because I'm overworked. I'm so tired, you know. I can't, And you look at hers, it's like she's drinking. She's at a club. She's out with friends. You know.
2: Good for her. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, yeah. I salute your mom. <laughs>
0: she's enjoying life. She deserves it. After all, she raised me, which was... <laughs> if you think I uh, I treat the government badly, well, uh, you... you uh, you know you don't know how i treated my parents <laughs> uh no okay seriously
2: I, no i don't think you treat the government badly you just speak your mind Yeah. and sometimes they don't like what they hear yeah
0: <laughs> yeah and i think uh my parents also found that uh very challenging when they were raising me because i uh, i did not hesitate to speak my mind to them too but you know full credit they encouraged me to speak my mind And, uh, you know, uh, told me never to be afraid of speaking my mind. Kudos to them. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And also with us today, Fong Ho Fang, who is founder of Ethos Books, which has published so many important books, uh, especially on Singapore, including most recently this year, Teo Yu Yen's This Is What Inequality Looks Like. Welcome, Ho Fang.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me on this uh, podcast.
0: So you just officially retired as publisher of, of Ethos, I understand?
3: Yes, that's right. About, uh, we reached our 21st birthday and as you know, when you reach 21, the new team has to take over. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and <laughs> yes. I'm free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: free. So I guess, are you going to start a civil society organisation now? Hmm. I've always
3: believed uh, that uh, one does not retire from something. One retires to something else, you know, right. and that's what I hope to do. Uh, still considering some options, but uh, there are some, uh, some projects that I am uh, in discussions with. with, oh, with some partners. Yeah.
0: Okay, we, we are very excited to hear about that. And of course, you know, so you went on a very high note, this is what inequality looks like is a bestseller in Singapore
3: and has really changed the, uh, the
0: whole discourse
3: around inequality. I think the writer was very good. She spent almost ten years uh, doing her studies and so on, and she was able to articulate her concerns at, uh, for, on on facts base, you know, on, on on studies that she made, and I think that resonated a lot with uh, with readers. Yeah,
0: it sold what fourteen, fifteen thousand copies.
3: Well, we had a print run of uh, well, we we must have printed twenty thousand copies now. Uh, some wow. books are still out there, yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I believe it's still moving because orders are still coming in from the bookstores.
0: Wow! Mm. And people say, you know, nobody reads anymore. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah, especially I, for a non-fiction, you know, academic type book.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think the topic is really um, appropriate at this point. Uh, Singaporeans and uh, are feeling that, not just Singaporeans, perhaps or even uh, worldwide. You know, this issue of uh, inequality. Uh, yeah. Mm. So,
0: well, hopefully, we'll be able to get her on this podcast sometime in the future. But okay, today, ageism, and uh, let's let's start with you, Kani. Can you just uh, tell us, especially our audience, what exactly is ageism?
2: Well, ageism is actually quite a new term, unlike sexism and racism, on which it is patterned. And ageism, I suppose, define it simply could be the having negative stereotypes and practicing discrimination on people or groups of people because of their age. So that I think, of course, it, it goes with certain beliefs, behaviors, attitudes. And not only can is ageism individual, it can also be institutional, but basically is thinking that older people have uh, uh, you know, fulfill a certain negative uh, stereotype, and because of that negative stereotype, they are discriminated. Against. Right. So,
0: just be clear that, like, older people are weaker in you know in more infirm.
2: Sure. They're, it is belief. The general belief is that older people have physical decline, mm-hmm. they have financial dependence, and they have mental degradation, and so they are going downhill. And partly, I mean, the reason that people believe there is ageism is people fear death, and old age is a prelude to death. So rather than to look at old age in, in a positive manner, I mean, in biblical times, on old age, people who lived long lives were looked up to because they were the fountain of, you know, memory and wisdom and experience. But, you know, with the agricultural revolution and with the printing press and all that, knowledge is now no longer just in the hands of older people. And so with now, with globalization and urbanization, so older people now are seen in a negative light, because it reminds younger people that, you know, that's not the way they want to go. So they would rather forget about old people. It reminds them of uh, frailty. Reminds them of death. Right. And then you
0: mentioned um, institutional uh, stereotypes. Uh, could you elaborate
2: on that? Well, more institutional discrimination because because in institutions also they believe that older people are not as capable, you know, than younger people. So there are lots of practices like, for example, retirement age at sixty-five. Now, chronological and biological aging are not synonymous. People don't age at the same time, it's very heterogeneous. So why should everyone retire at 65? Some people, you know, can go beyond 65. But the fact that you make retirement compulsory at 65, that's institutional ageism. Right. So,
0: um, can you give us a few more examples then of... uh, You've done, uh, I know, some studies of government policy in Singapore with regards to institutional discrimination.
2: Yeah, I think, for example, this Retirement Act and Reemployment Act is one big example. Now, in Singapore, we are all we are all told there's no free lunch, so everybody has to work for a living. So it's been in, drilled into our psyche. You either have to be self-reliant or you have to depend on your family. So older people want to continue working as much, as long as they can. But with this Retirement Act, Retirement and Reemployment Act which says that you have to retire at 62 and then your employer can uh, if the employer feels the need that you are are important to the organisation, they can offer you reemployment to the age of 67. But if they feel that there's no place for you in the organisation, they can just give you three months salary and out you go. Now, but the Problem with re-employment is that the employer can re-employ you but at a salary decided by the employer, even though you may keep on doing the same job. Now, this is definitely ageism. Why on one day when you are 61 and a half, you are doing the same job for a certain salary. Six months later, when you're 62, you're doing the same job with a lower salary. So that is an example of ageism, institutional ageism. Now, why do we have a retirement age in Singapore, I cannot understand, there's no pension, like in many other countries. And reemployment, I mean, we should just make it, you know, that people should work as long as they can. And as long as the institution or the firm or the company they're working for needs them, It, it can be a private arrangement. So this whole thing of making you to retire at 62 is getting many people who are very uh, committed to the job and capable. It makes them leave the job because they feel very angry when they are paid half a salary or three quarters of a salary for the same job. And on the other hand, we keep on saying that we need workers with low fertility rate. We need more people in the workforce and then we're letting good people go. And not only that, many older people who have lost a job. I mean, when I say older, I'm talking of people in their 50s and 55 who may have lost a job because of uh, what retrenchment or whatever it is. They find it very difficult to get into the job market again. And this has been acknowledged by both uh, um, Minister Dharman, Dharman and by our uh, president when she was the Speaker of Parliament, that ageism... It definitely exists in Singapore and it has affected a lot of working age people who can no longer find jobs or asked to retire at the age of 62. So
0: Ho Fang, you just you retired but you don't you own uh, you know ethos books as the founder So this was a voluntary retirement?
3: Yeah. Well yeah, it was a voluntary because I, I took uh, I, I used the term retirement because uh, I have a fantastic new team in place now. And when one retires, one must leave the Istana. <laughs> so you know, uh, yeah. Uh, so I have to, I have to go and and uh, leave the Ethos 2.1 to carry on with the great job that they have been doing so far. Uh, so,
2: but you're but not out of the picture, Ho Fang. So you have not retired. You've morphed into something else. Right. So so the word retirement is used too loosely. Yes, you've stopped being. Uh, uh, the managing director, or yep. whatever your position was, the publisher. Was, yeah. the publisher. Mm. But now you're still there. You're as a mentor. Mm. You're there as a you know still doing other things. Maybe so. So you're not retired. You just yeah. changed your yeah. your, I, your, I, I, your I job th- specification.
3: Yeah, I did think of uh, you know being a publisher mentor, but uh, <laughs> PM. Nah, 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 I think that's a bit tough. Yeah. So no, I'm out of this. Yeah, but uh, of course, uh, the team can always still consult me and, uh, and uh, we, can, we still have our discussions and so on. But I will, uh, will be leaving the office. Uh, the, the seat will be there for the new, uh, the, uh, the new publisher and the new team to take on. Yeah, but, but as I said, I'm retiring to something else. So maybe you're right. Maybe after this session, I will not use the term retire anymore. I'll use the term morph. Mm. I'll morph into something else. <laughs> yeah. And right now, actually, uh, the reason why I thought about this also is because I, I'm 64. And so one more year, I should be, re- if I'm working in a government body or in a an organization, I may be, I will be asked to, you know, uh, renew my contract uh, on a yearly basis or something, you know. So, it you got me have, thinking. You
2: would have had to renew your contract on a yearly basis after the age of 62.
3: Oh, 62. Yeah, after oh.
2: that, the re-employment to 67, you have to renew your contract on a yearly My basis. Goodness.
3: I, I should approach a new team and ask them whether they want me. <laughs> <laughs> but but you, anyway, you see, yeah. this is
0: this is what I was I, I was getting at, right? You have voluntarily morphed or moved on. But it, seem, it seems like you're suggesting you did it because you took your cue from government policy which takes its cue from an arbitrary age which someone was mentioning earlier actually was imposed by bismarck in the you know in the 19th century it's not even a 20th 65 62 it's not even a 20th century Post World War Two, you know, the, and the the whole transformation of our economy, it's, it doesn't even come from that, you know, right? And Bismarck yeah. was
2: trying to uh, decrease the influence of the socialists, so he offered retirement age to the citizens, knowing very well that hardly anybody lived to the age of sixty-five. And he said, "You'd get you retire at sixty-five, and you get your pension." And most people didn't live to to get their pension because life expectancy was so much shorter at that time but we have kept the same arbitrary age even though life expectancy now in Singapore can can be one third of older people can live up to the age of 90. Wow and that's why economists have said you can't work for 40 years and expect to finance your retirement of 30 years. Right. So, yeah. the, so the, the, the mathematics is all wrong about retirement, you know. So, we need, all of us, we need to change our thinking about retirement. I mean, if we can afford it or start a new uh, project or something, then we can stop working anytime. But otherwise, for most people, they should not, I mean, they can work more flexibly, Shorter hours, another job, but to retire is not only bad for your financial health, it's bad for your cognitive health,
0: right, yes, yes. I think um you know studies have shown that uh, you are less likely to um, be afflicted with uh, age related mental diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia. if you remain. Uh, mentally active, right? So, it's, it seems like there, it, there's a, a sort of... We're mixing up correlation and causation because we ask people to retire in their 60s and then they decline mentally because they don't have anything to do. And we say, oh, that's because they're old. But maybe it's the other way around. Oh, perfectly that's, yeah. right.
2: oh, Yes, yeah. because people who keep working longer definitely live longer. That's been shown. And many people die soon after retiring.
0: Right, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. And right now, of course, we have... Uh, an example, just north of the border, the current Malaysian Prime Minister, uh, still very active and yeah. as I can, and Kirsten and I can personally attest, very <laughs> mentally vigorous <laughs> still.
2: Well, he's, um, he's an, an example that yeah. should be emulated. <laughs> mm. well,
0: don't say that too eagerly or people accuse you of being a traitor <laughs> <laughs> to Singapore No, I mean, he, he's
2: he's definitely Anyone who is yeah. able to take on the country at the age of 93 yeah. we, we ought to salute them
0: Yeah, I agree Okay, so to come back to this then, right We've got this really arbitrary age that our government imposes on us But do we know how this came to be in Singapore? Uh, Because during the colonial period, obviously, there were no real labor rules and laws and things were extremely uh, laissez-faire, right? And the colonial government didn't care about welfare at all. So, do either of you know how we got to this point?
2: The only thing I know is that one of the uh, reasons given for retirement age is that because Singapore's wages were based on a seniority-based way, you know, system. So, the older you became, the higher your wage beca- became. So, at a certain point, it became very expensive for the company to keep you. So, the retirement age was a convenient time to get you out of that company and hire someone on a younger person who would be paid less but now we have done away with the seniority based wage we have now a performance based wage so that retirement you know for for that is no longer valid and as we as we have been talking before singapore labor market is so tight we need all the people that we have you know who can uh, put their hands on deck or whatever the expression is. So we need all, we can't afford to let people retire and then find that because with our low fertility rate that there are not enough, you know, workers for the job market.
3: <clears throat> of course, one of the other issues that you look at when uh, when I sort of morphed or ret- retired this, is also the issue of uh, making way for new blood to come into the company. And I think this is quite important in any organisation that one should, morphed out and make room for new blood so that uh, the I,
2: I disagree yeah. with them what's wrong with old blood the only time in new blood you need is in a blood transfusion <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. I
2: mean what, old blood you can stay on in the company but you can work less you can still get new blood but you do other jobs you be a mentor you teach them so the new blood and old blood can come together but I think we we place too much emphasis on youth mm. I mean As you grow older, there's something called crystallized intelligence. Young people have fluid intelligence whereby they can process new information quickly. Mm. But older people can use accumulated knowledge and experience. Mm. and And that crystallized intelligence keeps on increasing as we grow older. So we need both types of intelligence. But I think we are so bound by this thing of retirement, younger people, new blood that we, you know, that we tend to become ages Mm. you know.
3: Yeah, but of course if you are lucky enough or blessed enough to have the option of moving into another area. So as far as, uh, in my case, you know, it was a case of moving into a new area uh, which I'm interested in and which I believe that I can contribute to. So it's not really, so you're right in the sense that maybe retirement is the wrong word to use. Uh, It's morphing into something else. So to me, I consider this as the third adventure of my of my life, you know. Yeah. So I'm going into something that I want to, you know. At the same time, making way, I I feel I have to make way for the even though it's my own company, uh, I have to make way for uh, to to allow the young people to dream their dreams as well, you know. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of it seems to then come down to choice and options because you know when definitely when I see a lot of people talking about old people working they're referring to people who like clean tables in food courts or collect cardboard and it's always framed in a isn't this a disgrace for Singapore society that our old people have to do this because they can't afford to retire And sometimes that gets conflated with, isn't it a disgrace that old people have to work? But it seems like it's not the fact that they are working, it's the conditions of the work that's humiliating. Yes. And so actually, if they want to work, they should be allowed to work, but we should... Working on a basis of fair wages, of fair labour conditions right, yeah. and all the labour protections that everybody should have.
2: And and also not working too hard manually if they are older because physically they can't do hard work, but they can definitely work. So the thing is, uh, uh, sorry, um, so they should be able to work if they want to. And also we can have technology or machines to help them. What is important for some of these older people who work in uh, hawker centres or cleaning, because there's no self-esteem, you know, attached to the job if they did it with machines and you know and they looked really cool as they did it many younger people say hey give me a try i want to do this job as well so i think it's the self-esteem as you said fair wages short working hours so they don't get too too tired doing it but and a basic wage which allows them to live with dignity
0: I think there was a study that said that that showed, uh, although this study was many years ago, Singapore is extremely hierarchical. But we tend to measure hierarchy in terms of your wage, right? How much money you make in terms of your your net worth, and um, rather than thinking of of these occupations in terms of inherent dignity or human beings, in those inherent dignity. I wonder if there is also this issue where because your wage declines as you get older, therefore people then again correlation and causation start thinking of you as being worthless.
2: You're definitely right. But in Japan, you see older people working until they're much older, cleaning the streets and all that and nobody looks down on them. And there's so many older people who work in nursing homes looking after other older people as well. So first of all, I think the dignity of labor is lacking in Singapore. We only look at white collar jobs. We look at status. That's why I think a recent IPS report said that the the most the differentiation is not by race or by ethnic groups, but by class and class is synonymous with money. I mean, if you live in 9, 10, and 11 district go on. So you're right. There is a lot of class consciousness. And because, back to your wage, but there's the dignity of labor. I mean, whatever job you do, people respect you for it, if you know, and treat you with uh, dignity. And you feel that it is something that, you know, you're happy doing it. There should not, we should not look down on any job. Provided it's not physically too demanding for people who are older.
0: But of course, uh, you know we we want to be careful. I think in our last podcast we were talking about. Um, um, oh, great, my mind just went blank.
2: Migrant workers, is
0: it? Yeah, we were talking about migrant workers and specifically about. Uh, um, oh, great!
2: You know, I had a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> Your come, is all right.
0: Yes. <laughs> Um, see I'm a young person being forgetful. That's all right. It's a senior <laughs> moment in a junior person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I just want to
0: make the point that you know it's 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 not a senior yes, moment. Yes. It's a, it's a it's a forgetful moment yes, which can happen right. at any age. Right. Um, so uh, your example about Japan, there's also this uh, inherent I mean the, the people see these occupations very differently in Singapore that uh there's no sort of social stigma being in a service occupation at any age, right? It feels like there are professional careers. you, you can be a professional waiter or something like that. And that's that's fine. You could be uh, you know, um, continue to be um, a, uh, in a specific occupation, a professional construction worker till quite, quite old. And, uh, you know, most construction workers in Japan are Japanese, right? They they do have labor shortages, um, but there's far less of this social stigma. And of course, the Japanese construction industry is very highly respected around the world. Uh, but I, I also want to be careful that we don't fall into this trap of thinking that the main problem with ageism is a mental attitude to it, right? That the solution to it is, oh, if only Singaporeans would just be nicer to older people, then we'd... um, No,
2: I did mean that. No,
0: no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that it's a very easy sort of mental adjustment to make when actually I think what uh, is emerging from this is a lot of the problem lies in um, government policies as well and the official the assumptions underpinning those government policies so that was going to be my question coming back to that right why if the government has all this information and we assume our government is well informed and well you know researched why do they still approach ageism especially when they're obsessed with economic productivity why get rid of workers when they can continue to be, be so productive so what is it about the government policy that a government that leads them to make these policies
2: I think they they are obviously thinking about it as they say, but they are listening a lot to employers. Employers want a free hand to retire workers when they want. Now, if there was specific age discrimination laws, then, we, then employers cannot ask em, employees to live at 62 or give them the same job and pay them half the pay. So, this is to allow business to thrive in Singapore, give because they you know everyone has to be nimble to because of globalization and all these usual, you know, words. So employers are given much more of a free hand. But it has been shown that when you have specific age discrimination laws in countries like Hong Kong, Japan, UK, US, you know, Finland there has been no lack of global global competitiveness in, in these countries. So if we had anti-discrimination laws, it would allow older people to work much longer and it would not affect the bottom line of the companies. Even the Ministry of Manpower agrees that specific anti-discrimination laws are necessary because ageism is so rampant, if I can use that word, in Singapore. But businesses have persuaded them to stay their hand and not move and not uh, uh, start these anti-discrimination laws. And that's why we don't have them. And that is why what is happening is people are being retired, there are not enough workers, then companies ask for more foreign workers and then the, we fall into this
1: uh, vicious cycle. Yes. Right. But it's also from the education system up, right? It doesn't just come from employment. Because I remember being in school, um, doing, you know, social studies type of thing, and, and they'll say Singapore is an aging society, and that is almost always presented as this is a challenge for us. This is going to be a problem. Look at this graph. You know, in your parents' generation, this number of working adults will support this number of senior citizens and then when your generation is going to be less of you supporting more of them and it's presented as this kind of big social problem that we all have to be worried about and then you know we all have to think about how we're going to pay our taxes to support all these old people and it's always presented as something to fear or something to combat as an obstacle
2: you're perfectly right kirsten that is, and that is why even now in government policy and in the media and papers, academic papers, they still use things like old age support ratio or old age dependency ratio. Now, the old age support ratio is then you know, shown how dire the situation is getting. Uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there were seven people who could support one older person over 65. Now, it's about four people. In 2030, it'll be about two people. So the younger people get panicky and get worried about the burden. But the way that this old age support ratios are calculated, they look at the number of people between 20 and 64 who are available to support one older person over the age of 65. Now, this divides Singaporeans into two categories. 20 and 64 engage productively then above 65, all retired. Now, first of all, the labor force participation rate of people over 65 in Singapore is 43%, one of the highest, and over 70, age of 70, is 15%. So straight away, this old age support ratio doesn't work. And many people who are 20 are still doing their national service. They haven't, you know, and then you look at, What about older people who have had savings? In fact, one of the suggested methods is you must have a savings, uh, you know, old age support ratio with savings factored in. Then it won't be so frightening. And then we keep on talking of dependency ratios. Now, old age dependency ratio has gone up, but total dependency ratios have gone down because from our very high fertility, when we had so many young people who needed who were dependent on the population now with fewer young people the total dependency ratios have gone down and nobody talks about that we only talk about old age dependency ratios and make young people fear fear old age and 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 fear older people that they are becoming a drain on the economy and this is what ageism is all about all these misconceptions about old age not correcting all these uh, ratios and these, and showing in the media, showing an older person who was 65 with a walking stick. I know this. Of course, there will be some people who are 65 who may need a walking stick. But how many of us? Only 3% of Singaporeans, older people, are in institutions. The remainder of Singaporeans, over 90%, are active and well, and walking about and spending money, which adds to the GST.
1: <laughs> yeah, my granddad was over ninety before he even deigned to touch a walking stick. Yes.
3: Yeah, I think the other issue also is that of insurance. The insurance uh, companies are one of the biggest, uh, uh, I mean, uh, people who en- engage in ageism, because when you reach a certain age, your premiums go up, your deductibles uh, go go up as well right
2: no you're perfectly right Ho Fang. first mm. of all motor car insurance goes up for older drivers now although in, they say that older drivers are less safe but many but where is the evidence to show I mean you know until you get into dementia or pre-dementia older drivers drive more carefully they drive less in fact because sometimes they don't want to drive at night so m- increasing motor car insurances for older people is not you know, it's, un, it's ageism. Another thing, as you said, in MediShield Life, premiums keep on going up with age, and that is because of actuarial uh, concerns. Now, and but what can worries me is deductibles go up with age. Now, there, there should not be a difference in deductibles because the older you are, then it's harder for you to come up with the cash if the insurance policy isn't going to cover you and your deductibles are higher. So that is, again, ageism. Mm. You know? uh,
0: can I just pick up on that healthcare? Right? We were talking a bit earlier about um, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, but there's this idea that as you age, you're going to consume healthcare a lot more.
2: Yes. Well, of course, we don't know how dementia and Alzheimer's are going to go because nobody has been around for... Uh, Alzheimer's was more a like 100 years ago when it was first diagnosed and we haven't found a cure for it. But a lot of work is going on. So it doesn't mean that we have to be so pessimistic and expect everybody to get into dementia. Now, talking about health care, often older people are blamed for rising healthcare costs but there's a lot of work by very renowned academics which shows that it is n- the increasing healthcare costs are a lot c- because of technology not because of aging second thing is older whether at whatever age you die whether you die at 50 or you die at 80 or even if you die as a child most of the healthcare costs are concentrated in the last one year of your life. So if you don't die at 14, you die at 80, you're just deferring your healthcare costs. <laughs> and because there are more older people in the population, the healthcare costs seem to go up. But if they had died earlier, they would have incurred those costs earlier. So it is, it is and there needs to be a debate in Singapore because it's accepted as wisdom that, oh, healthcare costs will go up with aging. And another thing is because we haven't looked after people when they were younger because diabetes is so rampant in singapore and we did not we only started the war on diabetes recently if preventive healthcare had been better then we would not have been in the straits and our healthcare costs would not have gone up so i think there is a lot we need maybe you need to have a podcast on healthcare expenditure right, and yeah. you know that would you know clarify some of the misconceptions that are around about healthcare expenditure and ageing.
1: I was part of a democracy classroom earlier this year where doctors came in to talk about care life. And firstly, you know, they, you know, the doctors also said that number of half of the older people will become severely disabled. Um, no one knows where that figure comes from. But the doctors also said that, you know, even if that figure was true, what it shows is not that you will be severely disabled when you're old, but something in Singapore's primary healthcare has failed if we have not been able to provide enough care to stop people from becoming severely disabled in the first place. Is it something like, you know, is it because people have been putting off going to doctors when they feel like it's not so serious? So, you know, someone might say, oh, I've had a headache for, I keep getting headaches for don't know how many years, but I'm so busy at work, I don't think about it. And then they get a stroke at some point. And then, there, then we say, oh, look at all these healthcare costs incurred. But, you know, if people had been educated, if people felt like they could go to the doctor earlier, how much of that could be, you know, prevented?
2: Before, uh, you know, addressing the issue, I just want to say one one obvious fact that goes against the fact that 50% of older people are going to be disabled, even, even mildly. Singapore is considered the third in the world for the longest average healthy life expectancy. Now, if we are the longest in the world for the average healthy life, how can you know, 50% of our older people, and this is according to World Health Organization, how can 50% of our people be disabled you know, in old age? So I don't know where that figure comes from, and that needs to be questioned. Now, coming back, of course, to your it's not, uh, it depends. First of all, women go to doctors more than men do, right? So I think there are recently now, the, the Ministry of Health is making many much more effort to preventive health care of older people. But health care has to be life course. You need prevention right from the beginning and throughout your life. And I think the Ministry of Health has missed some opportunities in the past, which now we have to pay the price for that. So that's why I think, you know, we have diabetes one of the highest rates in the world. One in nine persons says diabetes, and half of them don't even know they have diabetes. So we need to do more massive screening, more treatment, more counselling, and other preventive measures.
0: Seems like there's, uh, uh, we come back, you know, there, there are these broad themes that keep coming up in our podcast One of them is that we have this incredibly interventionist government which likes to meddle in our lives in all sorts of things. And then in other ways, it refuses to um, intervene for for other positive outcomes. And uh, we're seeing that here in terms of healthcare, in terms of uh, more broadly social welfare, I think... um, there was that uh, document you're showing me that Singapore spends only what, 5.5% on social welfare? Social expenditure. S- social expenditure. China spends 8%. OECD countries spend 21%. You know, and then they they do so little for society and for our well-being. And then at the end of our lives, when um, healthcare, you know, when all these problems come home to roost, they say, oh, well, you know, you look, older people are, this is what happens, right? And therefore they are... All the people are somehow inferior, when actually a lot of these things seem to be preventable. And so, yeah, so we're seeing this this um, you know pattern emerge again and again in these discussions of a government which is, in some ways, very ideologically driven uh, towards certain policies, rather than as they like to portray themselves, one which looks at the facts and looks at the research and and derives policies from that. And um for regular listeners of our podcast who listened to our podcast last week, you know, I talked about uh, the central conflict in the PAP's policy making where they are increasingly dependent and accountable to global capital to drive GDP, to drive uh, the government's the PAP's performance legitimacy. But that then, by being accountable, as you mentioned, Kani, to companies, to employers, that then leads them to squeeze workers who form the majority of the population, and so they have to then find ways to remove accountability, and you know, or set us against each other. And it sounds like again, in this aging, so there's this problem here where they're listening to the government, and so older workers are um, you know losing out. So then, to fix that, there's uh, these basically electoral bribes, like the Pioneer Generation Package, and then there's this broader inculcation to the education system. Oh, all the people must be feared, you know, to set all the people and younger people against each other. So it, it this this theme again of this government very ideologically driven and uh, with um, an incentive structure that makes it responsive not to voters and not to workers, but to capital, right? It's, it's coming up. It feels like it's, it's, uh, this whole conversation has, has uh, come back to that again.
2: Well, of course, I mean, I, I, I think I read somewhere and my information is correct. Only about 50% of the GDP goes to salaries of local workers so that is much lower than in other countries not much lower or it is lower but coming back to this whole thing about first of all it it sometimes people or even institutionals don't realize their ages you know these are sort of biases that we have subconscious biases so i think recently i mean bef- until until uh, maybe two, three years ago, I often uh, used to hear government leaders talk of a silver tsunami as if ageing was a destructive force. <laughs> but now, right. I think the Ministry of Health, after they've come out with this action plan for ageing, they've become more sensitive. So they do not now talk about ageing in the same ages fashion that they did before. But of course, it is not so easy to rid yourself of your beliefs, your you know, which are And so I think they still project that. But I think this uh, uh, thing about pioneer shield is really whether it is meant, I mean, it'll definitely get them both, but it is a good thing, because it is helping older people, when these older people did not have any uh, opportunity to have large CPF balances, and they did a lot for the country. So I think it is something that the older people deserve and I think it's a positive thing. But I think it's going to be hard for the government to keep on matching it. Now they're going to think about the next generation, the Madeka mm. generation and beyond that, I don't know what other generation. Mm. So it is time for the government to think of universal schemes yes. which will then benefit all of us. Without, because the amount of time and money which is spent on these schemes which are not universal, I do not know how many people you need to make sure that not only this someone who is over 65 gets this, someone who is under 60 gets this. So it's, it is, I think, time. And we are the third or one of the richest countries in the world and we can yeah. now be more universal and be more allow people to be more creative if there's a social safety net for for citizens they can allow themselves to be creative and not be afraid of falling each time without some net to to get you know to to support them so I agree mm. universalisms the time for universalism has come
1: and that would stop us from also thinking about separating segmenting the population by arbitrary age right mm. so like why is this person a pioneer generation? This person is a medical generation and then I am I'm told that I'm the strawberry generation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that is actually
2: also discrimination but on a positive way because of your age. So that's also ageism for the rest of the population because the ones who are older are being favoured but the rest of the population is being not favoured. So that's also ageism,
1: reverse ageism. When it applies to something that all of us actually need, yes. which is healthcare, yes,
0: yeah, I, I, I frequently say, what's the point of us being and becoming a rich country right is is the point of being a rich country just to become a richer country, or is it to create a better society to think about you know our how we organize ourselves economically, politically, socially, culturally, to create a more enlightened you know and and better ways of organizing yourselves that take care of all of us, including the people who uh, are less well-off or, as the government likes to say, more vulnerable or, you know, people who... Uh, are unable to take care of themselves, right? Isn't that the point of becoming a rich
2: country? And that's, that's how we'll become cohesive, have solidarity. If you look at countries like, you know, Scandinavian countries, you know, where yes. they help each other much more. But in Singapore, because you, ha- it's a com- too competitive, because what you can get, if somebody else will get, you will lose out. And all our yes. kiasi, kiasu, all these expressions. So you're perfect, you know, you need... Uh, people to be much more cohesive, and we need to use this wealth for for you know all citizens so that they can be happier, well being is better, and yeah. more creative.
0: Yeah, people you know like to say oh you know you but that's because in Scandinavia the culture is different. But what they don't realize is that before World War II, Scandinavia was also very much a, a conservative place, right? And it was the victory of left wing movements that led to these policies being changed and a whole different approach to society and it transformed the region and over the generations transformed the people to uh, the kind of Scandinavian society and the kind of egalitarianism and and uh, you know sense of shared uh, responsibility for each other that we have today. you know and likewise Singapore conversely, we used to be a far more liberal progressive place in the colonial period but you have several decades of a, of a government and especially one which promoted conservative policies and i think as a historian i think singapore is more conservative now than it was in the 1960s so government policy has the power to transform society you know over generations and of course, in, but then when governments don't want to do this, they'll say, oh, you know, society, we can't lead society. We have to follow, we have, you know, we are responsible to society and um, have to be responsive to what people want, completely neglecting their own power to transform it.
2: Yeah. And, and f- for example, our total fertility rate, we keep on giving money. To people for you know for, for uh, these natal benefits, but we don't change our employment culture. We don't, and until we change our employment culture, like in Scandinavia, where the total fertility rate has gone up to about one point six or one point eight, we are still languishing at one point one or something. So until we change our employment culture, our culture of you know being more universal in our benefits and spending our money to help the well-being of people then uh, you know we are always going to be not uh, the happiest society as many many of uh, polls have shown that singaporeans are pretty unhappy on the whole
1: <laughs> yeah one thing i wanted to ask was the the ability and the the space for older people to speak for themselves so even whether it's you know whether it's in the home or whether it's a broader government policy it's often speaking for older people so like you know we have the pioneer generation package because they have worked so hard and this is what they want nobody really hears what uh what an older person themselves has to say about this policy and then we before start we started recording when we were discussing this we were talking about how there's also a tendency for younger members of the family to speak for the older members of the family like Oh, you know, this is what my ama needs. Or if you have any instructions, you'll tell me and then I'll deal with it for my grandparents because the assumption being my grandparents are too old and woolly to remember things for themselves, to do things for themselves. There's a lot of infantilizing older people.
3: That's true. Uh, I mean, I, I think of myself uh, recently because my mum had a little... Uh, uh, she had an aneurysm in her, in, in, in her aorta. And of course, uh, we were all concerned for her. Uh, Miraculously, she recovered. Uh, And well, right now, all of us, or rather as far back as uh, a few weeks ago, we were all so concerned with her, refused to allow her to walk by herself and so on. But she insisted on going out on her own and uh, walking on her own and so on. And... I now realize that it's a, a form of ageism on our part that we think that she cannot uh, do this thing on her own. And so now we have actually uh, relaxed and let her go on her own, you know, but we just sort of uh, follow to pick up the pieces <laughs> if anything happens, yeah? And she's so much happier,
2: right? I, th- I think that's why when you look at some Western societies, many older people live on their own. Now, of course, in Singapore, to some extent, the HDB policies make that difficult. But leaving that aside, I think Singaporeans as a, as a society tend to want to be very protective towards older people. Now, they consider that a virtue. But being an older person myself, I feel that it does not give me enough autonomy. And I think and the, the general uh, feeling in Singapore is that if you look after an older person, give them a roof over their head and give them enough food to eat that should keep them happy but older people don't just live with food and shelter and lodging they need to be able to make decisions mm-hmm. so as you were saying kirsten this uh, the pioneer program I don't know, I mean, it's a good program, but I don't know how many older people were involved in making it because after that, what has happened is the government has had to ambassadors, pioneer ambassadors to go to each home to explain to the older (laughs) person what is the policy about. Now, if it had come from the ground and older people had been involved in the decision-making, they would have known what the policy is about. I mean, of course, not all the details, but I mean, it was like something thrown in to the labs without without them really participating in it. So I think this is also ageism because we think that older people cannot make up their minds, they don't know enough, but everybody can, you know, and that is something that is lacking in Singapore. We need civic education to make people realize that they have a voice in whatever is happening, you must have a voice. Otherwise, life, living life without a voice is only living three quarters of a life. Can
0: you talk more about these cultural issues that maybe also form, um, you know, barriers to us overcoming ageism?
2: Cultural issues like, I don't know. I mean, for example, in my practice, it, I, when when uh, you know they uh, a Singaporean family, uh, the sons or the daughter bring an older person to my clinic. You know, and I want to try and talk to the older person through a translator. They normally say, no, don't worry, you don't have to explain to her. Just let us know what it is. And yeah, we the will then tell her, yes, that they will right. say. And sometimes if she, if she has a serious illness, which I would like to tell him, the patient about, they say, oh, don't tell him the diagnosis. He won't be able to take it. We will then break to him gently. So it is all this one this assumption, as I said in Singapore, filial piety is expressed as protection, protecting the older, to uh, protecting the older people against unpleasant news because they can't take it or they can't handle it. So, I mean, in in one aspect, you can think, oh yes, it's a good trait. You want to protect older people, to some extent, yes, but to. So, to, to as Kirsten was saying, we are denying them of being able to speak their own mind, to have their own voice, to make their own decisions. So I think this has to, you know, this is one cultural issue which has to go. Uh, well, I think, and that is also then, in the government expresses the same thing. Older people, you know, and normally, you know, and with this whole action plan for aging, which is a, a three billion dollar plan, there are Ten areas, but there's not even one area which which says that we have to tackle ageism, where even young people at school have to learn that old, old age is just a part of life. It's not something that where you are below, uh, you know, your competence and your mental things are less. Of course, there are people who who have dementia, but you can have younger people who have mental disability. So it's not that just because of age you become less competent. To make decisions
0: is, is there this well uh, it seems to me there's this stereotype also that younger uh, sorry older people tend to hold more conservative views and and that forms this uh entire case of ageism, as we were talking about earlier do you do you guys feel that's the case and if, does that contribute to ageism?
2: I forms think the sort of us versus them. First of all, I think there's no evidence base. We, I mean, normally what happens in Singapore, whenever you have any age disaggregated uh, sort of statistics, you're just put 65 plus and that's it. Nobody has told 60. When people beyond 65 to 90, we're not a homogenous group, you know, that all of us hold. So first of all, Got to realize that aging is heterogeneous. And if you can have you know uh, age-disaggregated sex, uh, as age-disaggregated data, then you must go to 65 to 75, 75 to 80. Why put everybody in one lump? So I don't think that old people are necessarily, you know, it, it depends. Many of them in the culture of their countries they they could believe in polygamy they used to believe so i don't you know we don't really we just assume that older people are generally you know more conservative in fact what it shows is if you look at the curve, the u-shaped curve of happiness as people get older they get happier they get less stress they get happier they they get more tolerant they they are less prone to conflict And that's why having a multi-generational workforce in any institution is a good thing because older people get. So I think before we can just lump older people into one group, we should first realise they're heterogeneous. We must have a few surveys, find out what they really think before, as Kirsten says, oh, older people are conservative, so they're not going to believe in younger people. And us against them, you know, and other uh, other things come back on being conservative. Religion comes into the picture, not just age. So there are other factors that will come.
3: And also, the uh, older people live in a different time. The context of their times informs them. And so we, those we who are younger, or we, yeah, I'm sixty-four, they're still young. Yeah. Yes, you <laughs> yeah. are. You are young. Yeah, we are younger. Do not uh, have not experienced those uh, those uh, times. You know. And therefore, you know, we think that they are conservative, but actually may not be a conservatism. I mean, example, I, I know many, many uh, older people who still remember the Second World War. And, and till today, they still have this grudge against the Japanese, whereas the younger people don't have the grudge anymore. So they say, oh, you have not forgiven them, you have not, uh, you're conservative and so on. Yeah, but... You, you can't rob them of the experience that they had in, 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 in the younger days, you know, yeah, so... And um, Kani, we were talking about dem- dem- uh,
0: demographics, is there a difference uh, to how men and women age?
2: Oh yes, definitely. Women live longer, but they don't age, you know, their health is not as good as men. That's well known, you know. So women have more osteoporosis, more osteoarthritis, more depression than men, you know. So they grow and so that is one of the It's a well-known fact that women don't age, but they live longer than men. You know. So in Singapore, if you look at the number of people over the age of 80, there are probably twice as many women as their men. You know, so if you're a woman and if you're looking for a male partner, the the you know it's it's going to be very hard to do so. Well, if a man is looking for a female partner, the whole field is <laughs> opened. So there is definitely you know a difference between aging between, but that's another big topic. That but so women live longer, and it's also the. Uh, a, Cumulative disadvantage because women, especially older women who are older now, they gave birth to more children, they worked more, they worked harder, you know, they were not uh, had the same sort of opportunities, they had less money, they have less savings, many of them become widows. And so, definitely, it's a cumulative social disadvantage. And then, biologically, women don't age as well as men do, even though they live longer.
0: So, I guess the the question then is what can we do about this? Um, It feels like in the 2011 election, um, especially, uh, or rather the the People's Action Party responded very much to a decline in a vote among older people with a a one-off $8 billion Pioneer Generation package which um, brought their vote up uh, in In that uh, sort of uh, age group, uh, if I mean if we can generalize right um, in the subsequent election. so there it feels like um, older people who statistically are more likely to vote, if um, they work together, can create change. So what do you think uh, older people and Singaporeans in general can do? to combat ageism and uh, whether it's culturally or whether it's true government policy?
2: That is, of course, a a big subject. First of all, I think you have to start in schools. You know, you have to start. The next thing is, you have to... Now they have started, I think, in Kampong Admiralty where they put an old uh, senior activity centre next to a kindergarten. You know, that's important to make... Younger people realize that older people and younger people to interact, but it's not going to be easy because I'm not quite sure how many parents of young kids are going to let their kids be embraced by older people who are not related to them or may not be from the same class as them. So I do not know how this is going to be work out. Then, uh, as I, the other thing is of course younger people now are going to live to over 100 years so the whole thing about you know how we study and then work and then we retire this whole thing has to be thought through you know so people should maybe study less and get married early have children then maybe go to work then go and study again and then drop out of work again it must be a multi-phasic Thing. So I think once you do that, because right now, because of this very linear thing, you know, study, work, retire, old age is always associated with the retirement, with no work. But if you do this multi thing, which we will have to do, because if, you, if people are going to, babies born in this century are definitely going to live to 100. Some people predict to 130. So how are they going to live their life of 130 years? It can't be just study for 10 or 12 years and work for 40 years, and after that, what? So the whole thing we have to think through, and once we think through all this, I think ageism will be less. Secondly, every citizen should have a voice. Every citizen, and we need much more civic education. Most of us Singaporeans, we are not aware of what our rights are. We are much more aware of our responsibilities, which is a good thing. But we must also be more aware of what our rights are, because how can you be an active citizen? You know, Unless we just want to withdraw from public life, and then just lead our own private life, And then what kind of a nation are we? What kind of a country are we if we do that? So I think civic education is so important and especially for older people who have put their nose to the grind and have been working without thinking. So we need much more civic education.
3: Yeah, I think civic education is the first. Before you can even introduce this subject into the schools, uh, there has to be a... An initiative from the people, the authority, from the people who uh, who, who make the policies, an understanding, you know. Uh, otherwise, uh, we are building a society where people withdraw to Sentosa Cove, and you know, the rest of you can live your life. It's a different world, you know.
2: Yeah. Then we're going to, you know, privatize our lives. And nobody is going to care about the public sphere, about civic education. And then, what are we? What do we call ourselves as citizens of our country if we just privatise our lives?
3: Mm
0: -hmm. So, um, crazy idea then, right? Why not you get together, all the Singaporeans, and form a political party that campaigns specifically for change to... um, Retirement policies, you know, anti ageism policies, um, and uh, tries, you know, it's its whole raise on that would be just, uh, you know, more rights or, or protection of rights for older people. Bad idea, Bad because
2: idea. because first of all, our first prime minister Lee Kuan Yew thought that older people should only get half a vote. yes yes yes. because his reasoning was at that time that once you're older you become selfish you only want your own you only want to you know, uh, vote because you want good things to be done. But we older people don't live in a bubble. We have children, we have grandchildren. So when I vote, I'm not just going to vote for my own benefit. I will most likely vote for my grandchildren's benefit or not just, if not my direct grandchildren at least. So I don't think we want to form older people are part of society. So we will remain. So to form a party just of older people, which will then, you know, Advocate for benefits for older people. That's not what older people are. We become... In fact, if you look at uh, some uh, psychological thing, as we get older, we want to give more and take less. I, there's, a, there's a phase of life called generativity. That's what we become. It, I think Eric, whatever, the you know, uh, psychologist. For, so we become much more wanting to do things for people, for society, rather than asking for ourselves. Hmm. So here, this is where younger people actually can ask for this because in the end, younger people will benefit. If younger people... So it doesn't... And it will pit younger people against older people if older people only ask for benefits. Because in America, people younger people often call the older people greedy geezers because (laughs) they think they just watch TV and get their pension. So... I don't. Th- I think older people are the ones. That's why when you look at senior volunteerism, so many older people volunteer because they want to give back to society. So right. that party is not going to work.
0: Right, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I, I have uh, I've heard of parties, especially women's rights political parties around the world. So that was just what I was basing it on. Uh, but what you are, you say makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised by, by Lee Kuan Yew saying uh, older people only should have half a vote, though, because I remember in the I think it was in the early 90s, after the PAP suffered several consecutive elections where their vote share dropped, he talked about giving married people with children two
2: votes. Yeah, but wasn't that the same thing? That because if married people, then older people get you know half a vote, less half right. of what the married people get.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah,
2: so you get half a vote. But what if
0: you're an older married person? I think because it no, seemed it, like his implication no, this was... was for
2: adults. Adults. Adults with children or something right. like that. So older people, you know, when you don't know, or even a childless couple or whatever it is, yeah. you get half a vote. Huh.
3: <laughs> well, luckily it didn't get through. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, because they saved him, right? Or they yeah. saved the party <laughs> yeah, in I mean, 2015. Well, he had a, a lot of crazy
0: <laughs> ideas that fortunately didn't come... Uh, you know, didn't reach the policy stage. Um, my only other question was uh, about: um, Are there any other countries that you feel, or policies from other countries, that we should emulate? Uh, is there any anything, any specific thing? that I think, you think we have Singapore discussed
2: that. We have talked about universalism, yeah. you know, and what they call, uh, some people say ageless societies. I don't like that word very much. Some people say age-blind societies, but I think universalism in infrastructure, in the way we make homes, you know, so that... Because even like, for example, aging in place, you know, you can't age in a home which is for young people. And that's why... There's a lot of ageism because the culture of most societies revolves around young people. So when you get older, that culture doesn't, is not you know, accepting of you because it, didn't, it wasn't planned for older people. So universalism in you know, infrastructure and all that. And of course, as we talked a lot about age discrimination law. I mean, in the Constitution, I don't think there's anything on gender or age. You can you know you can discriminate on uh, for, against people on age. So I think age discrimination laws in the workplace are very important. If we want older people to keep on working and not get less pay and keep on increasing their CPF, so they become self-sufficient. And then this whole thing about, you know, healthcare expenditure, everything will go up. And another thing we haven't talked about at all is that because of old people, we haven't talked of the silver economy, We or we did touch about it. That will bring so much money. So we could, Singapore, could easily be an example of silver economy and how that brings, increases the GDP, you know. So... This whole thing about ageing is not something for us to be depressed about, it's something to celebrate. Instead of saying ageing societies, we should talk about societies of long-lived lives. And only the lucky grow old anyway.
1: <laughs> well, actually that reminded me of one thing about the culture and the environment that caters to young people. So. That was one of the criticisms that you know my parents, my grandparents sometimes have of the smart nation thing, because they feel that this whole push for smart nation doesn't take into account um, older people and their experiences and their needs. I remember my grandmother being quite upset when they talked about making all the top ups for EasyLink link cards completely cashless because she finds it difficult to navigate the cashless. How to top up a card, cashless, and they and now they're telling her you can't. We are taking away that option of just going out to the counter and giving someone cash, and she feels like she's been cut out of that. And I know my my father who goes to China very often. He comes back and he says like you know in Shanghai and Beijing now, everything's done with like WeChat Pay. You book a taxi with your phone. You pay a street vendor with your phone. If you have cash, everybody stares at you like you're really strange. And he says what he's observed is that a lot of older people in Shanghai and Beijing are now completely lost because if they if they haven't even got had the time and the opportunity to even explore having a smartphone, you now cannot book a taxi, you now cannot pay at a seven like at a convenience store. It's just completely alienating this whole segment of the population. Not because, you know, not to say that older people can't possibly learn how to use a smartphone, but there just hasn't been even that opportunity to think about Yes. How to help and how to support people to pick up this technology.
2: You're perfectly right. Young people just stick to the computer and digital thing like fish to water. And older people, I mean, I try my best and I try to keep abreast, but it's not going to be easy. And we are going to further isolate older people and we are going to make them, you know, into into more depressed and feel that they have no role. That's another problem with when you get old. Often society makes you feel that you have no role left anymore. You're no longer so this this has to be a conscious push in becoming a smart nation. How we can bring the older people, we must give them options. And we must, wherever possible, we have to bring them along by giving them, you know, telling them how to do it. But they must have options to do it in the fashion in which they are used to. And of course, we are going to die out in the next 20 years and all that, and you know. And then the, you know, the people who have been brought up in the digital world will find it easier. But even then, the digital world is moving so fast, so quickly that there will be always people who cannot catch up with it all the time. What about disabled people who are young people who are mentally, you know, have some cognitive problems? They won't be able to do it either. So we have to be mindful that smart nation can run on s- for certain things, yes, but for other things, we must allow diversity in the way that the smart
3: nation is. What do you think? I agree, totally agree, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, my own experience, uh, you know, my mother had trouble. Uh, um, she couldn't like instinctively pick up uh, using a smartphone, using email because she had grown up in a completely different time and paradigm. But once I sat down and showed it to her, she got it very quickly. You know, it's it's yes. not like they can't. It's, it's just someone needs to show because the assumptions that underpin um, technological interfaces are different from very different, you know, from... Uh, you know the sort of real world usage of, of objects
2: and not you know? only yeah. that the the people who have made these phones have not been mindful of being age-friendly. You know, even initially, they used to have small little buttons which older people could hardly see. But now, once you're mindful of that and you make, you know, uh, gadgets and appliances which are age-friendly, the older people who have more money than younger people, people over the age of 50 or 60 have nearly half the money than younger people in most developed countries. So, they are strong consumers. So, you must make products that appeal to them, easy yes. to use, maybe lessons thrown in, bigger figures, not so complicated. And then, you know, the older people will be as good as you younger people in using these appliances.
1: There's a whole market for that, like a yes. mobile phones made yes. for older people yes. where all the buttons are right. big and they've, they've really stripped it down to the things that you definitely need. Yes. I remember like about not being mindful, I remember when they first brought in the two-factor authentication for SingPass where you get the code sent to your phone, didn't didn't take into account the number of people who don't have phones. And the first time that they introduced that, I got locked out of my SingPass for a few months because when my granddad logged into his SingPass, they popped up to say, put in a phone number to send the code. And he didn't really get what they meant, so he put my phone number in. So then every time he logged into his SingPass, they would text me, And then I would have to call him to say, what did you just do? And then I couldn't get into my SingPass because one mobile phone could only be associated with one. So in the end... I had to take my granddad to the community centre for both of us to promise that can you please detach this account from this phone number and attach it to my account and my granddad doesn't have a phone so what do we do now so <laughs> what
2: happens then I, you know what happens for this uh, the, uh, dual whatever authentication you call it if you don't have a mobile phone I think in so the end
1: they just had to leave it without a phone so phone. what
2: So what happens to this is something not thought through the institutions I mean, what happens if you're old if you're you know you your sight is, you, know, you can't see so well, you're disabled in other ways. How do you, you must have alternatives for these people. And it's thoughtless of all these policymakers to just expect, you know, uh, these things to work for everybody. You know, they don't have universalism when it comes to many other benefits, but when it comes to this kind of thing, <laughs> it's universal. Yeah. Mm.
0: For New Narrative, a lot of our members are also um, o- over 65 Um and so they have difficulty accessing our website so we're working on a project to make new narrative much more accessible to older people who aren't used to reading on their phones or on their computer screens which uh, hopefully we'll be able to announce soon but we're you know we're very excited about it and uh, we think we'll open up the website to uh, a far greater audience you know that's, when yeah
2: that's really being age sensitive you know and not only age but sensitive to the fact that not everybody's faculties on every sense of the word work equally you know so some of us absorb things better when we hear while others better when we see i just wanted to say although i talk so much about ageism i myself i'm afraid guilty of it for example this this wish to look younger now for example i color my hair so that i don't look so old because I worry that if my patients see me with com- completely grey hair, they may wonder whether I'm capable of doing surgery on them. <laughs> and no, it is a, it's, it's a real worry. So I have to look younger than my age. If I really look like many, like a 76-year-old could, my patients may not have the same. And that is because they they are ages in that thinking. So to some extent, when older people try to look younger, it's not because... They they also believe in ageism. Is because it it you know that is the best they can do if they want to continue in a society which is so focused on youth, youth and ability. So you know you have to then you know I mean I would it would be nice that if people de-linked ability with age, then it doesn't matter what you look like, you know. But because ability and motivation. And capacity is linked to how young you look. Some of us older people have to use some techniques like that so so that I can look younger and then patients feel more confident about my ability. Then that's a confession.
1: <laughs> so one of the last questions that I had was to to talk about because you know things haven't been static. The government has made some changes. So what are some of the things that they have changed and what are the some sort of things that you know, we hope that there will be change in the future.
2: I'm sure there are many, but on the top of my head, I can think about two. One is by introducing Medici Life, they did away with ageism. Because before that, if you were 92 and over, then you were not covered by any insurance scheme whatsoever. In fact, the age was much younger. But with each revision of it, they put the age up, but it was never for life. So this medicinal life now really means medicinal life and covers you for your whole life. So ageism in that aspect has gone. But unfortunately, as we mentioned earlier, the deductibles still keep going up, even though you grow older. So it is partially good, but not 100% good. Now, coming to things that could be done, and here I'm talking mostly from government point of view, we definitely need age-specific laws to prevent age discrimination in the workplace. And that has been shown, the IPS did a very big survey where it was overwhelming evidence that people over 55 could not get jobs because of their age. So that is something that needs to be done very prominently. And the other thing that we did talk about, if we really want to do with age discrimination, is most schemes must be universal so you know these uh and so and the other Probably, I think, policymakers and media don't understand the impact of ageism. Not only does it affect our society, but it is internalized, as we said, by older people themselves. And then they limit themselves in what they are capable of doing because they have imbibed these things that as you get older, you are less capable, you are less, uh, you know, less whatever, you know, ability. And so it is really you know, making the potential of older people you know, really restricted. So it not only affects the relationship between young and old, it affects the potential of older people to be fully exploited. And in our country, when we keep on talking of human resources being our only asset, then we are really failing the country by not doing away with ageism.
0: So that's all the time we have left, and uh, I think this conversation has been really educational. But it's also given me uh, a lot of hope because looking at you, Kani, and how passionate and vigorous you are, and how capable you are, you know, I feel like there is a lot of promise for change. Um, as long as our older Singaporeans keep fighting for you know a better society, as long as we all keep fighting for a better society, you know, and seeing how um you know, well informed and in, in, in how you're you're still fighting. Um I think gives me a lot of hope. So I want to thank you uh for that. Uh so uh, a big thank you to our two guests, Kani and Ho Fang. Thank you very much for coming. And of course a big thank you to my co host, Kirsten.
1: Yeah, it has been a really interesting conversation.
0: And uh, thank you to our listener for tuning in. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week to our uh, uh, podcast, Southeast Asia Dispatches, our fortnightly podcast series, which brings you news, interviews and commentary from around Southeast Asia. And do check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And if you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work uh, by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com slash join. And if you are an older journalist who's been forced to retire and would still love to write and research, hey, reach out. You know, new narrative has a place for you. So this is PJ Thumb saying a big thank you and have a good week ahead.